Welcome to Dark Horse Matters, the show about people, their passions, and their pursuit toward happiness. I'm Bev Matayoshi, your host, and my passion is talking to people from all walks of life. And I just want to, you know, emphasize, you know, what drives them, their dreams, what makes them tick. And if you are just tuning in, don't forget to like and subscribe and hit that notification bell because you never know, you could be the next person that gets inspired by one of these stories to hit those bucket list items and make those check marks to work. Because I truly believe that passion and pursuit of something is the pathway to true happiness. So with that being said, today's guest is a really, really um, amazing character. I just love this man. He actually inspired me to do something I never thought I would do. So um, I think it's so cool that he's coming on the show to talk about Dragon Con. <laughs> so uh, I just want to introduce you to Aaron Dunn. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Thank you, Bev, for that wonderful intro. Hi, Aaron. You know, um, I think it's so cool that you are actually across the world talking to me right now, which is the beautiful thing about Zoom and this digital mm -hmm. era that we're in that we got pushed into through the pandemic. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to thank you for being on the show today. Um, oh, my is, pleasure. Yeah, this is so much fun. So um, I just want to start off by just, you know, asking you like where this accent i love your accent i think it's so beautiful and just tell me where you're from like where's that accent from okay so um i'm originally from wales um much like saint patrick yes yes folks saint patrick's actually a welshman not irish <laughs> and i love reminding people of that my, my irish uh, relatives uh, and i was born in a little town called barmouth in a place called Merionethshire. Uh, which is in the north east of Wales. Um, my parents moved there in the 60s from Ireland. They're both Irish. And uh, myself and all, uh, one of my sisters were born in uh, Barmouth. And then we moved um, way before I can remember. Uh, we moved to a town called Hollyhead, which is on the uh, west coast of Wales. And is one of the two main um, ferry links between Wales and Ireland. Uh, so uh, we grew up in a port town, very large Irish population, um, and the, the North Wales accent in that region isn't very strong. It's kind of a soft, subtle accent compared to what most people think of as a Welsh accent is right down south, like in Cardiff, uh, in, in that area. It's very strong down there. So um, the reason I have this slightly unusual accent, it's a mishmash of a sort of Dublin slash Hollyhead Irish slash well, uh, Hollyhead Welsh. And um, I lived in Wales for, until I was 16. And then my mom decided it was time for the family to move back into Ireland. So we moved over. I had just finished high school, as you'd say, over here. Um, I finished school at 16. And uh, mom decided, uh, since I'd already just got a job working in a supermarket, um, she could see that if we didn't move back to Ireland soon, my sister was going to be leaving school shortly. She'd get a job. And then before you'd know it, um, all the kids would have been settled and not wanting to move back. So she decided that was the time to do it. So we moved back to Ireland in 78. And um, my siblings all went, finished off their schooling in Ireland. I could have, but I 
did not like school. <laughs> uh, school was, um, uh, like most people of a nerdy disposition, school, not particularly a happy period in my life. So it was like, heck no, I'm not going to do that again. And um, I just continued working. And um, I lived in Ireland for about eight years. And um, I decided that, you know, in the mid 80s, uh, I wanted to get into computers. So um, I started studying that through a correspondence course, uh, because at that time, not everybody had PCs. PCs were actually quite distant at that point. And uh, eventually I ended up moving back to the UK and I moved to London to get into the IT field. And I was very fortunate. Um, I, within five weeks, strangely enough, um, I managed to get uh, an entry-level position working for an insurance company in uh, Ealing in West London. And um, I spent a little short of three years in London. Uh, would have stayed there longer. It was a very, very good time in my life. I made some very good friends, still in touch with a few of them. And I also got, uh, but around about um, 80, uh, mid, in, mid 89, I got a letter from the Irish, from the US embassy that my mother forwarded on to me, telling me that um, I had qualified for one of the Donnelly visas. Uh, for those who don't remember that, that was a scheme that they did back in the late 80s. Uh, for countries that had traditionally provided immigrants to um, America, uh, like in the 18th and 19th centuries, um, they'd done away with the, the quota system that they'd had for, for many years. Uh, so there was just a pool of people allowed in from overseas. And so um, a Senator Donnelly said, like, can we just do a commemorative sort of edition? So I was uh, one of the folks that was lucky enough to get a visa and a work permit and I didn't have to have an address to go to, and I didn't have to have a pre-existing job or special skills. And um, my 10-year plan <laughs> had been to uh, work in Ireland for a couple of years, go to work in London for a few years, and then go to the United States. My 10-year plan happened in slightly over three years. Wow. Uh, so, um, and, and at that point, I stopped making plans because it became very apparent to me that I make plans and God has a good laugh about it. So <laughs> it's been free, you know, free form since then. And um, I went uh, to live with some relatives that we that had come over to trace their Irish roots. And they had visited us. They were very nice people. They were cousins of my mother. And they had said, in a moment of madness, never believing, of course, anybody would take them up on it. Well, if you ever want to come over to America and stay with somebody, you're, you're welcome to visit us. So first of all, my sister went for six months. And then uh, a, a, year, a couple of years later, I went over and I, I didn't stay quite as long with them um, because they lived in Jacksonville, Florida. And when I'd originally gone to the US, my, I'd envisioned myself going to New York or Los Angeles, you know, because really when you're coming from Europe, you don't know much about America in between. And Atlanta wasn't even on my radar, but it happened to be the nearest big job, job uh, marketplace. And um, so I moved up to uh, Stone Mountain in uh, June of 19, 1990, I had to think there for a second. And I've been in uh, Atlanta ever since. Oh wow! Um, I apart, didn't... Yeah, 
Yeah, that's so cool that you ended up here that way, like just randomly. Yes. <laughs> Which and is so, how a lot of people end up in Atlanta, randomly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily a destination. I mean, there's some people obviously that you know, may have gone to school here, they got relatives here. And I describe, and, I, and this is this is not meant, you know, I hasten to add as any kind of slur. I, I think of Atlanta as the biggest small town in the world. Um, it, it's about as... It has about as, as much of a small town atmosphere as I can tolerate. I learned when I went to, to, to uh, London that I am a big city guy at heart. Um, I've got friends who've lived in New York and Los Angeles. And they've all said, if you would really do well in L.A. Um, so, you know, if you ever decide to move someplace else at this point, uh, you, you should definitely look at those those options there. Um, so uh, so. What you're also hearing there is basically 30 years of Georgia uh, heaped in on top. Uh, so when I come back to when I come back to uh, Ireland, um, my relatives are going like, "So what's that fake U.S. accent you're putting on there?" And I'm <laughs> like, uh, "What y'all talking about?" <laughs> but um, so that yeah, so that's basically how how I got to be here. Well. Uh when you first got to Atlanta, like what was your experience like just being, you know, from a different country? Was it easy for you to make, meet people and, and make friends here? Or like, I don't know. It took a while. Um, I'm, you know, I'm one of those people, I can be very gregarious in certain situations. And in other, in, in other words, in other ways, I'm totally introverted. As I've learned, uh, as I've grown older, shyness is very situational. Um, so I didn't make a lot of friends and I've never had a lot of friends. I, I've got quite a few acquaintances. I've got a core group of, of very good friends that I'm very close with. Excuse me, hiccups. And, um, when I first came over, obviously didn't know anybody. And I did what I, I did, what I, I had done when I went to London. Um, I decided, okay, you got to go find your tribe. So I tried to find the local science fiction and fantasy community okay. uh, because that's always been a passion of mine and uh, the gaming community, um, like the tabletop, you know, D and D type things. That's where I found uh, my friends in, in, uh, in London. And um, I found out about a group called the middle earth rocketry club, which is, which is still going. And it's a small uh, fallout. They were a, a descendant, you might say of the Phoenix, uh, science fiction society that had been in Atlanta for several years prior and had, I think they had actually mounted a bid for a world con that hadn't succeeded, but um, so they had been a pretty gr big group. They fractured after the world con event, apparently. And uh, the middle earth rocketry club was kind of the informal remnant of one of those groups. So I started going to their meetings. Uh, of course, at the time, I had no transportation. I was on MARTA. So um, I discovered that MARTA will get you anywhere you want to in Atlanta as long as you have three hours to get there. Um, so it was hard getting around, first of all. That definitely put a crimp on things. Um, and yeah, I noticed that about Georgia. Like, you cannot survive here without a car. You like, have to have a car. And it's like that I, in Los Angeles, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know... I'm told that the metro system here is pretty good, um, you know, but what I discovered is it's it's also good at certain times. If you're trying to get into the city during rush hour, it's it's perfectly functional. If you're trying to get to anywhere apart from downtown and you have to 
change. That's where the three-hour thing comes in. You're going to spend a lot of time sitting in a bus station or sitting in a, a MARTA station waiting for another train to come in to make the, the connections. Um, and I was working in Stone Mountain and I was working, I was working within walking distance of, of where I was. So, you know, for, for work purposes, it was fine. And my coworkers were kind enough that if the rain was teeming down, they'd just pop over and pick me up at my apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Um, the company I work with uh, was uh, very, very kind to me. They were great folks, uh, you know, um, very welcoming. Uh, the lady who ran it, Linda Leonard, um, she had uh, worked in Germany um, when her husband was in the Air Force. And so she understood the whole kind of fish out of water thing and, you know, literally been dumped in a city where you knew nobody, nothing. And, and, and at least, you know, at least I knew the language mostly. And um, so she made it as, as easy as possible um, on me. That's good. Uh, did you, is that like that group that you joined, is that how you discovered Dragon Con? Like when did Dragon Con even start? Because I never uh, even heard of Dragon no. Con. And funnily enough, and, and this is the thing I'm, I'm trying to figure out here uh, about the dates, but um, the first time that I can remember hearing about Dragon Con was the day that I first got the cable installed at my first apart- appointment, apartment. Um, and it was a Saturday. And I've been waiting around and the cable guy comes in and, you know, he, he, he does he does what they do and he fixed the cable up and I turn the TV on and I'm flicking through the channels and suddenly there's this reporter and he's talking about this event that's going on downtown called Dragon Con. And this was when Dragon Con was held over the July 4th weekend um, back then. And um, so they were talking about it and I was like, wow, this sounds really great and very cool. And I have no idea where it is and I have no idea how to get there because I hadn't even if I remember correctly, I hadn't even gone into downtown yet. Um, I had just been in Stone Mountain and gone to the the, the, the Kmart. Yes, we still had Kmarts then. <laughs> this is 1990, remember? And uh, I had just gone and and uh, I just went through the, the little hole in the in the fence and went to the Kmart that was behind the, the apartment complex. And I got my stuff and I'd walk to work. So this was, I'd only been in the city like four weeks. I hadn't even got into downtown yet to go exploring. So I was like, wow, this sounds great. And did they have a parade back go. then? Oh, no, no. Okay. This was, oh, before no. this that was time. a lot smaller. This was, uh, this, this was when the, um, the entire event was still held in one hotel. Okay. Um, this, the 1991, if I recall correctly, um, they had, um, Tom Clancy was one of the headliners. And, you know, I was, oh my God, Tom Clancy. I love the Hunt for Red October. Um, I loved Red Storm Rising. I, I read I, uh, read those novels. They, they just come out, in the, the, you know, pre, the last two or two or three years previously. I used to read them on the tube in London. I used to take the long way around so I had more time to read. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, oh, dang, I'd really like to see him. Okay, well, you know, um, so apparently this is a thing that goes on every year and I didn't, so I didn't get to go to the Dragon Con uh, that year. Uh, I did go to another convention that uh, was run by some of the same people uh, a few months later. I double checked and it wasn't actually Dragon Con. It was something else that they did uh, a one-off, I think. And so I, my first Dragon Con was in 1991. Okay. Uh, loved it. Um, 
at that point, I had a few friends that I'd met through the um, Middle Earth Rocketry Club. And so I knew a few people to go there. And um, I don't think I had that. No, I didn't have a, um, I did not have a, uh, a car at that point. I was taking the Marta in and taking the Marta back. Which was a bit of a uh, which was a, a bit of a problem because um, even though the party scene wasn't anything like it's become these days, uh, there still was quite an active uh, night scene and stuff going on, and it looked really cool. And I had to leave and get the last bus and get the last train, so right. I was having to leave about nine o'clock. And at this point in time, Dragon Con wasn't so big that Marta was putting on additional service because there were so many people going to it. It wasn't that that great of an event yet. Um, but from 91 onwards, I went every year. And I went uh, as an attendee from 91 to 97. Then in 1998, um, you may remember or may not, uh, some because it, it, it is quite a few years ago now, as I have to remind myself. Uh, there was a TV show that came out on Fox called Sliders. Uh, uh, sliders. Sliders, yes, uh, which um, ran on Fox for, I think it was two years, and then it moved over to um, the, the Sci-Fi Channel. And it was a show all about a group of four people who accidentally... Um, st- that uh, there's an experiment and uh, a couple of them are accidentally drawn in uh, into this group and they're going from one reality to another and they have no control. They, 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 they're, they're, the device that controls the sliding, as they refer to it, was damaged in the pilot. Uh, so, of course, that they have no idea where they're going and the, the, the timer counts down. So they keep landing them in these bizarre situations and they have to survive for X number of hours, maybe it's a couple of days, and then they have to leave. Um, they've worked out that um, if they miss a slide and try resetting it, they won't be able to get back home for 75 years, something like that. And had a great cast, wonderful cast, uh, Jerry O'Connell, um, John Reese davis one of my favorite people in the world, actor-wise, I've had the privilege of speaking to him a couple of times at Dragon Con. He is beyond awesome. He is an amazing guy. I'm going to have to look up this show. It sounds very interesting. Yes, it was. And it was a show that I was very passionate about. And um, we just started, you know, at this point, um, people were just really starting getting access to the internet. And... Um, I discovered it was a you know a fan group it was one of the early fan groups that was on the internet where we're all into sliders and we started having this discussion and um you know i was t- somebody had told them maybe me had mentioned about dragon con and everyone said we should try and get a sliders track at dragon con and we could we should try and get some of the cast members um because it, the numbers weren't huge and the, it it was kind of on the bubble about getting canceled. And, you know, so we were trying to do anything to generate publicity for it. And, um, you know, hey, we get to meet the cast. And so um, there was a number of people were um, kind of volunteered or volunteered themselves. I still can't remember which way it went for me. 
and uh, end up with like with four of us uh, being the spearhead of trying to convince the folks at DragonCon if you know give us a track of programming for space to do a, a track of programming for sliders at DragonCon. And because I was the only one of the four who was an Atlanta native at that point, I wound up getting volunteered and picked and approved by DragonCon as the programming director. Oh, how cool. So I, 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 be, I found myself suddenly being a track director. Um, and so we came up with all sorts of content. We wrote letters to, you know, we, we hunted down the contacts for these folks. We, we uh, you know, and found out who their personal appearance managers were and begged and pleaded for them to come and uh, all sorts of things. And um, we were fortunate that we managed to get John Reese davies uh, No, I'm sorry, we got John Reese davies later on. We didn't get any guests from the show um, for that first year. Uh, on, and DragonCon has a very straight, uh, to some people, a strange policy. Unless you're like somebody like Steven Spielberg or George Lucas or Harrison Ford, you know, really high level, they don't go after guests. Guests have to ask, can they come? Oh, okay. Which, which is, makes it very awkward for people who don't understand how it works. Because you're, you're, you're pleading and you're begging and asking people, would you please come to Dragon Con? Sure, come. Okay, would you mind filling out this application form, please? So you have to apply to be a guest. Um, so we went through that, and um, the 98 con was, there were some issues with it. Um, we had a new location. We were using the, uh, the merchandise mart for the first time, uh, rather than the hotels. And um, there were some serious logistical issues with it, and um, such that we ended up tearing up the contract with the merchandise mart after the first year. Um, so we had some issues. I had people that wanted to come and find us and we were located in a place that was difficult for people to find. So we, we didn't have great numbers, but um, after the first year, uh, they, the, the committee came back, the, the directors came back and said, look, um, we, di we liked what you did, uh, you didn't. We don't think you've gotten. There's enough support out there to have it just be a dedicated track. But we think you guys are good at putting a track on. So we'd like you to find some other kind of track concept. And you know, maybe you guys could be uh, sort of a generic. You know, we had a, a Star Trek track. We had a Star Wars track. And they were like, "Can we do something like you know, a uh, kind of gen track for shows that don't have their own track, so to speak." So thus was born the American science fiction and fantasy media track, which may not have the longest history of any track in Dragon Con, but it's close to having the longest darn name. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. This is so cool, though, Aaron. Like, I had yeah. no idea that you were kind of a pioneer in this. Like, I'm not actually an OG. A, a Dragon Con has been around since 1984. So, um, and I started going to it in 1992. Right. So at this point, I'm one of the people who's been associated with it to, to some extent. And I was a director for 10 years. At that point, I felt, you know what, um, because, and, and, and this, our, the, the um, American SFM 
or SF Media, we just shortened it down to that uh, track, it became kind of like a breeder track. Um, we would get shows that uh, were popular and people wanted to have, um, you know, more exposure at the convention. And we get them, first of all, and we build up the audience. And then if there was enough of a, an audience and a fan base to go and run their own track, they got to go and run for a few years uh, for themselves. So we kind of um, we gave birth to the um, the Stargate track came from us. And indirectly from them, the current um, SF military uh, track. And after a couple of years, Dragon Con kind of, well, after more than a few years, Dragon Con had kind of uh, decided that there were so many shows coming up that they really didn't want to do single show tracks. Um, Star Wars and, and, and uh, Star Trek, they're not so much a single show at this point. They're a franchise. So there's right. multiple movies. So they, they got to be, um, you know, grandfathered in. But um, the idea of, you know, shows like uh, Babylon 5 having their own track uh, or coming to people coming to us and saying, we'd like to have a Farscape track, which was a conversation that was had there. Um, they, they no longer wanted to do that because it was, it was splitting resources too much and there just wasn't room to have, um, a, you know, every TV show have its own track. You just couldn't do that. Um, but for a couple of years, that, that that was something that they did pursue. And, and so when the, the Babylon 5 track, which was already out there, uh, when that started to come to the end of its natural life and the folks who'd started running it were like, well, you know, we've done everything we can. Um, there's really, you know, we're not getting the same amount of people coming to, the, uh, to our panels as we used to get. Um, because, you know, once the show goes off the air, the clock starts ticking. You know, it's you can only maintain the enthusiasm for so long and you can only talk about if a show has been on the air for three years. There's only so much you can talk about 32 episodes, we'll say. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually you just start to run out of things to do with it. So we would get those shows that were kind of easing into retirement. And um, so we did that. And then um, from us also came the, um, the American classics, uh, the folks who do the stuff in the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, so we, we have a, a good relationship with those folks. And that's how it progressed. At what point did it start, like people start dressing up and stuff? Because like, it's such a huge deal, like with cosplay and, you know, the parade. Like, at what point did that, like, happen? Well, co cosplay, as we call it now, that's always been a part of science fiction fandom. Um, there's pictures going back to the, like, the first Worldcon that they held, which I believe was in like 1929 or something like that. I'm sure somebody on the internet will will correct me on that one. Um, but there are photographs from the first Worldcon, you know, in the late 20s, early 30s, where people were dressed up as Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and the characters from those shows. So the, the whole idea goes back way, way, way into the roots of uh, um, science fiction fandom. Um, it's definitely all, always been part of... Um, Dragon Con, I do have some photographs that I took uh, from early from conventions before I was, and it was, be, and I remember uh, it was before I was a director when I had time to do this kind of thing. Um, because once you become a staffer, your world shrinks down. You're, you're concerned about, I've got to get so-and-so to so-and-so, we got to get set up. You're, you're running, running, running the entire weekend and your, your uh, view of the con becomes very focused 
Um, but it was the first time I ever stayed in the hotel. And I remember wandering around with a group of my friends and just taking pictures of people in costumes. And so it's definitely always been a, 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 a big part of Dragon Con. And it's just grown over the years. Yeah. And like every year there's like a, a big costume contest, right? Like the masquerade. Sometimes yeah. there's two of them. Sometimes we've had it. Um, there was, there's been a couple of them over the years. Um, there's the bunny hutch uh, party that they have on the Thursday night where they have sort of burlesque type costumes uh, inspired by playboy bunnies. I think that's, that's fair to say. <laughs> and um, they've, they've had uh, several specialized focus contests for quite a, for, for a number of years there we had the miss federation contest which was a um as one might imagine it was a, a costume contest for the that was run by the um the trek track um as well as you know the main um masquerade contest and some years they've done a couple of those ones so they've and, and some of the costumes are absolutely amazing yeah um, like what from what i've seen like at the parade that i went to like i mean it the costumes were just intricately you know designed like it looks mm -hmm. like real life not even like movie quality oh, like real life quality we've we've had we've had costumers from the movie industry and and quite a few, and, and quite a few people have gotten jobs working in the in the movie industry and tv industry uh, based on their resume of convention costumes that they're able to put together because uh, any uh, costumer from the industry will tell you the costumes that they have at, at a convention, the top flight ones are way better than the, the costumes that they create for television because they have the luxury in TV of like, it only has to look good from one angle and you can shoot it from three or four feet away. Um, the, the, at your convention, people are right up close to you. They can, you know, it's got to be right all the 360. Um, for instance, um, you, the, the classic movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, that Gort, the big silver robot, you uh, folks will probably uh, be familiar with that. There was actually two costumes because they wanted to have the, it, the, the, the suit look completely seamless. And with the technology and the materials you had at the time, they couldn't do that. So what they did was they had one suit that you shot from the front where the entrance to the suit was in the back. And then they had another suit where the back was perfect and there was a zipper up the front. So they, whichever, depending on the angle of the shot, that's the costume that they used. Um, so there's still things like that that happen today. And, um, you know, they also have... Uh, Although the TV shows have a, a massive budget, there's an awful lot of things that money has to go into. So, uh, and they also don't have the time necessarily to work on those costumes. They might be given two or three weeks to put a costume together. Um, as you've seen on shows like Face Off, it's uh, not so much what can you do, but what can you do in X number of you know, hours with X number of dollars uh, to get that effect. We need that shot for first thing on Tuesday. With costumers, it's like um, they have they spend weeks and months working on these costumes. So um, yeah, possibly. I when because after I met you, like you know, I would just thought that okay, this is gonna go on my bucket list. I I'm new to Atlanta. 
I want to do something that, you know, is, you know, local for Atlanta, something to experience. And I chose Dragon Con. I was just like, mm -hmm. you know, so I, but I wanted to do it full out. Like I wanted to go in costume and I wanted to make my own costume from scratch. And so I learned about, you know, I just went on YouTube and learned about how to cosplay using, you know, all the different materials and how to make it look real, you know? Um, and it was so much fun. It was a lot of work, but it was so much uh -huh. fun. You know, I didn't take into consideration, you know, having to go pee. So my that is one of the things that, that it took me an hour to pee. Yes. <laughs> uh, I remember there was a woman I saw years and years ago. You asked about, you know, costumes that were really impressive. As I think about this, this woman, she had a beautiful, uh, full on Elizabethan, Elizabeth the first outfit. She looked magnificent. And then I saw her trying to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and it's like, she has like a full out hoop skirt and she had to get two friends basically half undress her in the corridor before she could go into the bathroom. They had to take off more of the costume before she could get into the <laughs> stall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, My experience, I was with a dude. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't bring him into the bathroom with me, but I really wanted to call him to help. <laughs> She had a, I mean, they thought about it to a certain extent. He'd obviously, obviously, and this is the thing, as when you're an experienced, uh, you're an experienced costumer, you think about things like this and you go logistics. And this is why you'll sometimes see people have several costumes because they're going back to the room and they're changing out and swapping out uh, several times because it's like, I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, I've had to take my costume off. I was wearing it on the floor for three hours. Okay, let me go put another one on. Uh, <laughs> rather than go down in the same thing again and fight your right. way down. So this is why you'll see people, you know, uh, change them out several times. Yeah, I didn't um, think about that. And another my poor thing guy was waiting an hour for me to get out of the bathroom. <laughs> another people thing, thing that people forget about, an, a, a rookie mistake, uh, is the heat. Um, you know, even though we have air conditioning in the hotels and you have these atrium designs and they're, uh, and they're, they're, they're quite breathable. The problem is when you get 25,000 of your closest friends there, the temperature starts to rise, um, the humidity goes up. And if you're in a costume that doesn't breathe, you start to run into trouble very quickly. Um, I remember seeing a gentleman, he had done a, you know, because some people just do very, very simple costumes. Uh, they're almost like child, childish costumes, but that's okay because everyone does what they want to do. And he had basically made a cardboard robot suit. And we were in the, um, at the time where we were located, we were right next to where the, um, the, the blood drive was happening. So we were coming out and one of my staffers was giving blood. And I just went to check on them, see how they were doing. And at the same time, this individual came through and he was wearing this cardboard box robot suit. And he took his cardboard box head off. The guy's face was purple. <laughs> and the nurse took one look at him and she says, get him on a gurney. And he was literally about to collapse with heat stroke because he was wearing a series. He'd been walking around in a hundred degree temperature with a series of wrapped in a series of cardboard boxes with aluminum foil over them. Oh so God. his body couldn't lose the heat. He was cooking himself. And the worst thing about heat stroke folks is by the time you realize you've got a problem, it's too darn late. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, so, um, 
when you see all those folks wearing stormtrooper outfits in the in the um, in the parades, uh, here's the thing: a lot of you might not know, they all have refrigeration systems built into them, because you cannot walk around in something like that for more than 15 minutes, especially in summer weather in Atlanta, um, before you're going to fall over. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's like in September now, but it was still feeling like summer. I remember, yeah, yeah walking it's around kind of for nine hours. It's the tail end of summer. You've got the humidity. It's not, you know, for, uh, for those who aren't familiar with Atlanta, it's not so much the heat. It is the humidity, which means that your body finds it harder to lose the, the heat as it's building up. So even for me, I mean, I'm a, I'm a jeans and T-shirt guy, uh, you know, at Dragon Con. One of the questions I know you mentioned was, have I ever, you know, what, was, what, what costumes did I ever wear? There's only two yeah. times I've ever worn a costume. Um, because again, when you're staff, you don't have time to do that. There's sometimes it's like, I literally get, I have 30 minutes to get down to the dealer's room starting now. So I have to get down, run through the dealer's room and get back before I have to run mics or make sure that somebody run mics in a, in a, a room. And so having the luxury of going to a hotel room, taking time to put on a costume, coming down, walking around, having a photograph taken. Yeah, that just doesn't exist. <laughs> so the first, the first costume I ever wore was I put on a business suit and I put on a, one of those fake Fox Mulder FBI badges and I walked around the hill. And a lot of people go, nice, cool. And then I had people coming up to me and complaining that there was no hot water in their room and why hadn't they had fresh towels. And after I got stopped for the sixth time, um, and, and at the time, uh, the, the Hilton management, who were very different now, I add here, uh, this is back a couple of decades ago. Um, the Hilton management at the time did not look very favorably, to be honest. They gave us a lot of problems. And for a few years, we, we moved out of the Hilton until they repented and asked us to come back. And uh, so when the sixth person came to complain to me uh, about something about the room, I looked them in the eye and said, excuse me, madam, um, and how did you pay for that? Well. I paid for it with my credit card. Oh, so we got your money then. Okay, screw you and kept walking. Because <laughs> at that point, I was just like, I'm not hotel management. I'm wearing an <laughs> FBI badge for God's sake. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it's like, okay, people, send situational awareness here. <laughs> um, so that was one year I did that. And then a couple of years later, I just, uh, when I was actually uh, a staffer, and I wasn't, this was after my director's era when I had a little bit more time. Uh, so I decided I would go as a Torchwood Trooper. Uh, so I bought like the, the, uh, the urban camo uh, fatigues. I even found a halfway decent beret. Berets look terrible unless there's 10 of you all wearing them uh, <laughs> and all the same way. And so I got a beret, got some fake uh, Torchwood insignia on the front of it, went out laid out 300 bucks for it because some of us were, were, were talking about doing airsofting. So I went out and lushed out $300 on a, a, an HK G36 um, airsoft gun because that was the one the BBC decided that, that, that the, uh, the folks would. So my, my weapons, my weapons were always accurate. My, my, <laughs> my shirt might not match, but dang it, I'm going to have the right weapon. And <laughs> And I walked around for um, a couple of, uh, I think it was an hour and a half one evening. And the problem for me with that outfit was I was wearing army boots. 
and I've had this pair of army boots for years and years and years. I'm, I'm not kidding you, 20 years. I still haven't broken them in. They still scrunch my feet. I get to the point where like, I've got to take these darn things off. So um, for me, costuming um, is not a big thing. Uh, simply because I don't have the time or the, the luxury for it. I love looking at other people's. They have some fantastic costumes out there. But for me, myself, it's just, and most of the people I know, if you're working at staff there, you just don't have the time for it. It's hard to, to find something that's a cool costume that actually works. Right. I went every year from, two, from uh, 1991. Wow, you must have a pretty awesome T-shirt collection. <laughs> uh, I have my largely my my uh, collection. I've I've been stopped a couple of people times. People have gone like, "Man, dude, you're wearing that T-shirt. You should have that framed someplace." And I'm like, yeah, but I got it as a T-shirt. <laughs> there are a couple of ones that are starting to show their wear. I've got so many that I can rotate them that they don't, you know, that they don't yeah. get worn that often. You got to make a quilt out of it. At some point, uh, yeah, at some point, <laughs> um, some are starting to, you know, get that thing where the where the, the color is fading and the decal uh, what that they used at the time. So how many but how I, many years, like from ninety one all the way till? I mean, that's consecutive. 90, you haven't missed a single Dragon Con, and that's comfortable for you to wear all yeah. day. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So like this past year in twenty twenty must have been interesting because I mean, you know, so. How many years was it that you have consecutively gone to Dragon Con until the pandemic happened? Uh, I haven't missed a single Dragon Con. Um, I one year I had um, I had a perforated stomach ulcer in August, and I came uh, from three weeks in hospital, and I got out on the Monday, and that Thursday I was working walking around the, the Hilton. Um, I was in a completely liquid diet, couldn't have any solid food. Uh, so I was, I was living off of energy drinks. And I, I remember uh, I, I, as soon as I came in, everyone was like, Aaron, how are you feeling? Are you doing okay? Uh, you, you know, I, 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 do you need to sit down? Are you all right? And I'm like, oh my God, it's like, this is so heartwarming that people are like uh, really concerned about my well-being. And I'm like, oh, thank you. No, I'm doing okay. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll take it easy and pace myself. And then the, the then uh, chairman of the, uh, the convention was like, Aaron, how are you doing? This is good. He said, yeah, everyone's so nice. Said, oh, yeah, they're really nice. You do know we have a book going on how long you'll get before you fall over. <laughs> and I'm like, do I get? No, you don't get to bet on yourself. because <laughs> So what's your bet? Oh, I'm not telling you. So I don't know. I made it through the entire weekend. And um, there was one year, uh, there's only one year I've missed as a staffer um, when I, I was, uh, I, I, I had uh, chemotherapy one year I was having and um, I could barely stand. I just told them, everyone was like, what, you're not going to staff this year? I'm like, guys, I'm not even sure if I'm going to make it down to the con. I did. I got down every day. Um, I paid for it for two weeks afterwards, but I, 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 <laughs> you're hardcore, and, man. I'm hardcore. I'm <laughs> hardcore. I was uh, at, at a hospital there a couple of years ago. And um, the thing is when you wear Dragon Con t-shirts, Dragon Con attendees come out of the woodwork. You know, we recognize <laughs> each other. 
And uh, this this guy goes, oh yeah, my my friend. He says, uh, my friend is a huge huge uh, DragonCon fan. Yeah, he says, he says, yeah, he's real. And, and he'd come over. And this is two security guards. And the security guard, oh yeah, DragonCon. So oh, so so here you're a big fan. Oh yeah, man, I'm going going for years and years and years. How long you been? Oh, I've been going for seven years. How long you been going for? Twenty three. <laughs> and the guy's like, just what? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not an OG, but I know who the OGs are. Yeah. That's so, cool. Um, That's cool. So yeah, this so uh 2020 was hard. 2020 was hard. I I didn't realize how much I was gonna miss doing it until that weekend came and I got I I was I was um definitely affected by it. Um, and, uh, to the extent that, um, my job largely involves me sitting in front of a computer and doing phone conferences. I work as a consultant and, uh, coaching clients through various things on, on, uh, implementing projects. And when September rolled around, I was just like, this is like a day at the office. I, I could not get up any enthusiasm. Because they, they did it virtually, right? They did That's, it virtually. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, people went and people had a good time and God bless. And it just, for me personally, uh, because I do so much stuff virtually for work, I was just like, yeah, peace out. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't get up any, any, any enthusiasm for anything that was been offered. Um, so... It's just not the same. It's I just mean, not the same. It's the experience the same. was so awesome. Yeah. I'm so, I feel so grateful that I got to experience mm -hmm. it before the pandemic, just because yeah. it was in its prime, you know, like, I mean, this last 2019, how many people attended to that? Or 2018, was it? It, it was a who you speak to. Um, we don't have a very good handle on the numbers. Um, I think the, the I year I that. went was 2018, and I think they said it was like I don't know, 85 or 90 thousand people that showed up. So that's the official number somewhere around. That's crazy. Um, it it could be higher than that, um, because we don't want the fire marshal to get upset. Yeah. Um, you know, but definitely Dragon Con. It's accepted, uh, although the the exact numbers are you know hotly debated in certain quarters. I'll just say that. Um, Dragon Con is definitely one of the top three conventions in, in, in the US as far as attendance goes. Uh, obviously, San Diego Comic Con, yeah, there's no disputing. They're in the hundred thousands. That's why mm -hmm. they've capped. They had to cap their attendance. They just couldn't deal with any more people. Yeah. Uh, we have pretty much grown uh, every year. Uh, some years we're kind of holding steady and uh usually because we have to find another facility to add to let more people come in mm -hmm. and um once we get some space people go oh there's more space and we get people coming in so um yeah we're we're at this point though i think we've probably reached the maximum simply because there, there's nowhere else for us to expand into downtown um there's always people asking if we can go to the merchandise mart but there are logistical problems with the merchandise mart. It's not near any hotels. Um, what's acceptable for people going on a business convention 
to, a, to, to go to a convention and travel back and forward to hotels is one thing. What people accept uh, that type of traveling for at a convention uh, of our nature is completely different. Uh, it's, it's just not going to work for most people. Yeah. Um, I can remember one year when we moved the, um, the, 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 the masquerade down to the uh, Atlanta Convention Center which is just down past uh, the hotels and people had to walk down and they were like, we have to walk 500 yards. Are you crazy? What about the costumers? We can't do this. This is too far. You know, so um, everything has to be within a certain distance for people walking and, and, and for their accommodation. And Dragon Con is a very, very social convention. So we have to be able to keep going past like six o'clock in the evening. If you're based in the convention center, they close at six o'clock. A lot of people don't realize that haven't been to San Diego. San Diego Comic Con shuts down at six o'clock in the evening. Uh, any parties or whatever happens, they're organized by individuals or more likely uh, uh, movie and TV companies who are promoting their new TV shows. They stage events, at the local bars and stuff like that. But um, you couldn't, you know, and this is one of the feedback we get from guests who've been to, you know, all these big conventions. They're like, they love Dragon Con because of the social atmosphere, because right. they can go out and interact with the fans. They can't do that at San Diego Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I, it just blew my mind, like how big the event was and, and how stoked people were. Like people were just like super energetic and just really into it. Um, I, I So what do you think is going to happen this year? Do you have any idea? Can you give us an insight about what's happening this okay, year? Okay, well, um, we had our first um, volunteer meeting there um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe about a month ago. And... Um, the word was that there's no word. Um, every day the situation, the, the thing, the situation is changing. But every day, unlike last year, the situation is changing for the better. As mm-hmm. we get more uh, vaccination rollout, as more people get uh, vaccinated, um, the city is talking about relaxing some of the re- regulations. Uh, the hotels, well, the hotels desperately want to get people in there because they've been hammered. Yeah, uh, with you know, with with nobody traveling and all the rest of this, um, so they've lost millions. They they want to get people in. Uh, Dragon Con is one of their most profitable, if not the most profitable. Uh, there are other people out there that spend money at the weekends, uh, apart from us, and um, they definitely want to get the the, the conventions back there. Uh, Dragon Con weekend is a plum assignment for those hotels. They they bring in people from all different parts you know marriott people come in from marriott's all over the all over the state maybe all over the country uh you you only get to work at the atlanta marriott at the marquee marriott at dragon con weekend if you are like one of the best people they have you've got a spotless record because there's immense competition because it's such a fun weekend Mm -hmm. the same for all the rest of the hotel chains we hear people want they you know um apd if you're a rookie, you do not get to work downtown Dragon Con weekend because, like, no, you got to earn it, bud. Right. Um, uh, dra- I, I've I've had the pleasure of interacting with um, APD on several occasions. Uh, Atlanta Police Department has a pretty stern uh, reputation. Let's let us say um, they don't tolerate fools gladly. They love. I've heard several other officers tell me 
They love us because of the fact that we are a very good-natured crowd. Um, for all the partying that gets done, we're not as hard drinking as some of the crowds that they have to deal with, and therefore they don't have the alcohol-connected issues. Mm -hmm. We tend to be very self-policing. So for them, it's like, okay, folks, please don't hurt yourselves. Uh, try it. Don't damage the hotel and please don't hurt yourselves. They're not worried. There's, there's not a lot of uh, crime or people getting all aggressive. Um, we're, we're very self police and they just, they just, they just like hanging out and, and, and being with us. And they're there just to make sure that everyone has a, a great weekend and gets home safely. So that's, that's um, really cool. Very, that the culture cool. that the culture is yeah. like that because when I, you get that many people together, you know, you, you have all kinds of stuff going on and the potential mm -hmm. for something bad happening. Oh yeah. I, and I mean, you know what, in every group, there's, like Mardi there's, Gras. there's jerks, there's jerks, <laughs> yeah. but fortunately percentage wise, our jerks are pretty, are, are much smaller. And, um, the, the police department, uh, they, they're there, uh, and they stay in the background as much as possible. I've had, members of the police department come to me and ask me to go and uh, rather than them start giving orders to fans can you get those folks to walk over there or do this or do that because can you get them to move there we don't want to come in and start you know putting a damper on things yeah which which led to the famous the famous uh, declaration uh, i was down in the sheraton one year and the, uh, the police officer asked, can you get those folks to move over to the side there? Because they're kind of blocked on the stairway and we need to let people out. Would you, would you mind asking them to, to, to move? I'm like, sure. So I go over there and said, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> my best Dragon Con public address voice, which is actually quite loud. Um, and they all turn around and look out. The man with the gun would like you to move to the left. Thank you so much. They move. <laughs> they moved. They laugh, but they move. So the real know, gun. <laughs> yes. This gun is not peace bonded, and this man is allowed to lose it. Lose it. I would suggest you follow his instructions. Thank you for your attention. Um, Dragon Con's a great place to learn how to deal with people, and my entire working history as look back on it has been you know involved with the public i've worked in supermarkets i've been a bartender on two continents um so i'm used to dealing with people um and generally they're in, in a very good mood and i've also learned by having been an attendee at cons and seeing how sometimes people in security act and it has a negative reaction so mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not the guy who's going to go, I move, move, move. I'm going, hey, folks, listen, I need you to move over here because right. if you explain to an adult why you need them to do something, they'll generally go along with you. If you just, I, 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 if you tell me, I do this, why? Well, I'm security. So you had to do what I say. Really? And I've been to other conventions where people have made that mistake. And I've gone to them, you're security, right? You know what that means? What? You're a volunteer with a badge that says security. I don't have to do jack stuff that you tell me to do. Right. So run along if it's that important and go and get the hotel security. I'll listen to them. In the meantime, I'm going to do exactly what Usually I want. Usually kindness works. Yes. <laughs> you get more, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Exactly. Which is not to say that I haven't on occasion used napalm instead of vinegar. <laughs> uh, 
I probably would. Uh, let, let's just say that there are there are some uh, th there are some uh, a group of uh, guests who refer to me as uh, from a TV show uh, refer to me as the screamer uh, <laughs> simply because I had to go in uh, to a room party. I'm I'm omitting names here because it's several years ago, and I'm sure people learn from their mistakes. Uh, who if they hadn't actually intended to do it, we're giving the impression to the group of people waiting outside to come into the room party that you had to be a, a members of a certain group to attend this. And no, we had given them the room uh, for to hold an event. And it was with the understanding it was it's a part of the con. Anybody who's an attendee at the con can come in. You can't have a private room party in, in a track room. And I had to go in and rather loudly and forcefully remind them that I was the person in charge and that if I didn't like what was happening, I was going to shut down the event right now. Again, Dublin bartender, I can project my voice when necessary. And I looked screamer. <laughs> there and and there was a couple of guys, one of whom one whom one of whom uh, is um, his father is and was a very fire, uh, famous Irish actor, and um, he just looked at me with admiration, said, "Wow, no megaphone. Where needed. did you learn to yell that loud?" This is bartender in Dublin. He says, "That'll do it. That'll do it." <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> So funny. Uh, kind, kind, kind of famous in certain circles, not sure yeah. for reasons my mother would approve of, but you know, <laughs> I... well, you know what, I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This, this conversation was so fun and, you know, I, I love Dragon Con and I can't wait to, you know, I hope this year would be the year that we can go in person and see a parade again. Cause that's like probably the funnest part. Uh, the, the parade we're still waiting to get feedback about um we're we're pretty sure we are going to have a uh an actual in-person con and there is going to be a, a a the virtual con was very successful the feedback we got was very good so there's going to be a virtual component um because we're aware that you know there's a lot of people uh whose finances have been really hardly hit badly hit this year may not be able to afford to come there's also people who is, may still be uh, have really good health reasons not to put themselves in that position, mm -hmm. and we may have to limit the numbers attending. Right. This is, please, whoever's listening to this, this is not the official con line. Our official con line at the moment is that the circumstances are changing from day to day, and so... Um, you know, the, the con wants to have it. Uh, we're aware everyone wants to have it, and we want to have it in as safe as po a manner as possible. So it, we're, we're hoping with the way that the vaccinations are rolling out and the way people are taking advantage of them, that we're going to have the restrictions relaxed enough that we'll have a convention. It's probably not going to look like your, your regular Dragon Con convention. Um, we're not going to promise that because that's probably not going to happen this year. Mm -hmm. But it, we're we're pretty confident that we can do it safely in some way, shape, or form. That um, a large number of people will feel comfortable coming down and and, and participating. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. Um, any other 
things, passion projects, or any, you know, exciting things oh, that gosh. you have going on in the Other future? Other things that I have going on. Um, oh, I, I, I'm one of those people that I, I, one of my big problems is I get all these ideas and I get galvanized and then I run out of steam on them. Uh, so, so getting it, getting something finished would be nice. Um, I, I, I want, I, I've been trying to write. Um, I'm a role player, uh, tabletop role playing games. Uh, so, my writing skills get exercised there by my my uh, my uh, G, uh, GM. My games master will say, "Okay, I want you to give me a write up on your character," and everyone else gives like you know three or four paragraphs, maybe. I give like nine pages of single side text <laughs> about how we grew up, and um, you know. Uh, you know, you know, on this is it. Oh, by the way, this is his girlfriend, and 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 what have you, and um, um, all sorts of all sorts of stuff like that. Um, uh, I'm I'm currently in a Shadowrun campaign uh, with run by one of my great friends, and um, she actually has a couple of professional writers who were helping her out with you know fleshing out the background for a campaign. And she keeps telling me, I want you to give me the background on Jennifer. And I'm like, okay, but you know, I said, no, Jennifer is the is the fictitious uh, girlfriend of my character in the campaign. And they're like, okay, your character is really cool. They love what you've been telling us about Jennifer and they want to see if they can build some story ideas around her background. So I'm like, okay. Uh, so I need to get that finished off. Hopefully, um, in the next couple of weeks, when I have some time, I'll be able to do that and um, uh, send that over to my GM so she can pass it on to the writers there. I have a mountain of plastic, uh, plastic uh, model kits. I am a frustrated war gamer. Um, <laughs> I keep buying the fig. I keep buying the models. Uh, we have a thing in the modeling community called a wall of shame. Yes, I have the Great China Wall of Shame. Uh, there's, there's, oh my God, there's probably, there, there, oh, there is, there is thousands of dollars wrapped up in, in, in stuff. I've even, I even um, imported a whole batch of stuff from Czechoslovakia from a company that was about to lose a license on an Alien Predators miniature game when uh, Fox got bought out by Disney. All of their licenses became null and void because Disney inherited everything. Uh, so these guys had a clean out and I found myself ordering stuff on the web from Czechoslovakia and then thinking, did I just like hand over a thousand euros to somebody that I have no idea who they were? Uh, the stuff did come through, thankfully. Um, so I have a, a, a very large investment in aliens, predators and colonial <laughs> That might be my 401k. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So all, all you know, uh, to just just to try and finish get something and, and finish something and see it through um passion things uh i am hoping the next time i get back to ireland i want to bring a couple of my friends there's there's a, a good friend of mine who's a big star wars fan brian shout out brian ross you can see this <laughs> and uh my other great friend one of my great friends uh jeff stokes and another friend of mine um Sean Morant, uh, two buddies of mine from London, my, my role-playing days there, and would like to get together them, have them come to Ireland. I want to go to Skellig Michael, which is the island off the Irish coast where they filmed uh, Luke's 
the, the Luke Skywalker scenes where he's in retreat on that island. Oh, how uh, cool. Uh, it's, it's this little island, uh, you know, literally it's a mountain sticking out of the IUC. And it's become uh, a huge tourist attraction, even though getting to it is akin to, you know, storming the beaches on Normandy. Uh, <laughs> because there's only certain times of the year that you can go out there. And there's even at that, there's only certain times of the year within that, that you're able to actually get on, uh, that the tides and the currents will allow you to get a boat in, um, that you can get people get, uh, get onto the island. It's an old... Um, monastery was put up there lord only knows how they managed it before they had they had power boats but um they did and um it's it's a a world heritage conservancy site or something uh, for years and years so um one of the things that people don't realize was when they were filming the, the scenes for star wars every morning they had to go out on the boat and come back because um the only other way would be to bring a helicopter in and they were not allowed to build like a helicopter pad. So um, it was either come in on the boat after two and a half hours, you know, going through the Irish sea each way or learn to learn to do an assault jump out of a helicopter. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, uh, as dedicated as the, as the cast and crew were, and also for insurance reasons, they felt that, you know, having Mark Hamill, who is now in his 60s, you know, trying to abseil down from a, from a helicopter, that should be in the movie, not the making of the movie. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So when so you go, like there, go there, when you go there as a tourist, like, what do you do there? Like, just, is, you do they have a tour? Up, basically, there's a, uh, I believe there's a tour you can go up. Um, definitely, they've, they've put some things in. I think they've put handrails in, which is a, a major development because um, there are literally steps cut out of the side of this mountain um, going up. It's covered in moss, there's grass, it, um, and get up to the, the site where the monks used to live. And it's, you know... It, they warn people, you've got to be in good shape. You've got to be able to climb up slopes. Otherwise, don't even think of going on the tour um, because it's very demanding physically to get around. There's not a lot of amenities. Uh, and, um, you know, but it, it's an you know, amazing place to go and visit and to check out. This sounds uh, amazing. I'm actually yeah. going to look look it up now. Oh, yes. Yeah. I've never Michael. heard of this. I was so surprised because uh, my mother, uh, when I, I called my mom, I said, yeah, I was just watching, uh, 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 I went to the new Star Wars movie last night, mom, and yeah, my friends really, really liked it. And there was part of it, it was part of it was filmed in Ireland. There was some parts, it was some island, someplace called, and I go, uh, what was it? My mom goes, Skellig Michael. What? Oh yeah, it was on the news here the whole time they were shooting there. That's said, awesome. You, you know that they were shooting? Oh yeah, it's been on there for the last year. <laughs> she didn't tell and you, you never mentioned it i ask you is there anything so what's going on at home anything interesting you say no no you know <laughs> and she tell me about somebody died that i had no idea what she was talking about you must know them they were your christening uh yeah mom i think it was occupied at that time <laughs> um but uh yeah so so that's that's a, a site to, to go see there and um i want to travel more in the states um Pretty much a lot of my time is, you know, for the foreseeable future as well, is coming back to see my mom as she's getting up there in years. But I would like to go and see the um, the Aztec and the Inca ruins in uh, Central America. I'd like to go and see Egypt. 
Definitely. I have been to Corfu uh, in the Greek islands, which is a beautiful spot, by the way, if anyone's thinking of going anywhere near the Adriatic. Wonderful place. Lovely people as well. And um, I did actually get to visit a place called Ephesus. And some years later, I was in a Bible study group uh, and they gave us these little um, books that we could, there were were study guides. And I look at the guide book. I'm like, what? This is weird. I could swear. Yeah, I, I know that statue. I've been beside that statue. I got a photograph. My mom's going to photograph me, me with that statue. I'm like, what? And I looked and it was Ephesus. And it's like, so Paul's letters to the Ephesians, that was Ephesus. It, at the time, it was a big uh, seaport in what's now Turkey. And um, over the centuries, the, sea le- the, 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 the waters have withdrawn a bit. So it's now five or six miles actually from the coast. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was a thriving uh, port place. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was like, so I've actually been to a biblical site. Yay. I may have <laughs> sat cool. down on the same rock that St. Paul sat on. <laughs> right? So, yeah. All right. Well, you know what, Aaron, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. This was so much fun and I loved hearing, you know, the story of, you know, you know, you coming to this, uh, to the United States and, you know, just how Dragon Con, you know, became a part of your life. It's, it's so uh, exciting to me and I'm so uh, grateful that I got to experience it. Hopefully, you know, this year and, you know, it'll start, you know, we'll have the massive amounts of people again, because that's what made it exciting, you know? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed for September. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Aaron, for being on the show. I really appreciate you. And uh, I hope to see you again very soon, non-virtually. Okay. <laughs> you enjoy your trip in, in Ireland and be safe, okay? Thank you. Right, Look right. forward to seeing you too. Yes. Okay, take care, so, man. Thank you, everyone, for coming on the show to Dark Horse Matters, um, where this is the show about people, their passions, and their pursuit toward happiness. If you like this episode, please don't forget to like and subscribe and share with your friends. And, you know, until next time, be passionate. <laughs>